Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How are you guys doing this morning? Fantastic. Glad you guys are awake and here. Uh, there's a thousand other places you could be, and so glad you're here in church. So uh, fantastic. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are kicking off a brand new series today. It's kind of a mini-series we're calling Sent, uh, where we're going to be going through the book of Acts, and we we did actually start with, it starts with one as we went through Acts 1 through 6, and uh, you walk in the download our One Church app or go to our website, podcast, all that stuff, you can listen to it for free. We want to give you resources so that you can grow spiritually. Um, but today we're kicking off this mini-series entitled Sent. We're going to be going through Acts chapter 7 through Acts chapter 11. And really the entire book of Acts is all about the acts of God through his people. It's about the early church. And if you're kind of new to church, this is a great time for you to be here today. Uh, book of Acts is actually not A-X-E, but I'm kind of in the south, so I may be uh, my pronunciation may be a little different than yours. So, but it's not AXE. That's like a body wash that makes you all smell good, and we're grateful for you washing your bodies. Um, but this is ACTS, and again, it's all about uh, the early church. And today, we are looking at the pivotal moment of where everything changes in the book of Acts. Up to this point, the church has been centered in the city of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was crucified, where he was buried, where he was resurrected. And all of the Jesus followers were Jews, and they're all hanging out in Jerusalem. In fact, this is what Acts 1.8 says. This is the uh, key verse found in the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? Witnesses. What is a witness? It just simply means telling people about Jesus everywhere. And then he says, first, in where? Jerusalem. And that's, that's where they've been up to this point. It's just pretty much been with the Jews. It starts with the Jews. And it's just kind of stayed in Jerusalem up to this point. But God wanted to keep on going. Where was the next point he was supposed to go to? Judea and Samaria. Judea was still Jews. It was just kind of, a, the, kind of the county. And then Samaria, they were kind of half Jews, half something else. And then ultimately to the ends of the earth. In fact, here's a map of Jerusalem behind me, uh, and you'll see that that's where it all got started, and then it expands from Judea into Samaria, and that's where we're going to be looking at today. That's where we're going to be looking at today. After this point, it's pretty much just been in Jerusalem. Everything that's happened is focused in Jerusalem. The good news has stopped in Jerusalem. It's actually kind of stalled. But we just read Acts 1.8. It wasn't supposed to stall. It wasn't supposed to stop. The good news of telling people about Jesus was supposed to keep on going and going and going, but it doesn't because the church got comfortable. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The, the church that became this mega church in Jerusalem, thousands of people in Jerusalem, and they got comfortable. They started sitting in recliners on Sunday mornings, and they kicked back, and they wanted some more popcorn. Right? They got comfortable. And today, all of that changes because, and you'll never believe how God got them out of their comfort zone and to move into Judea and Samaria. Let's look at that, Acts 8.1. A great wave of persecution began on that day, sweeping over where? The church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles, those are the disciples, were scattered throughout the regions of where? 
Judea and Samaria. There it is. God's people, the church, got comfortable, so God used persecution, hard times, problems, difficulties to jolt them out of their comfort zone so that God could use them. And boy, did he use them. Verse 4, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Wherever they went, they were witnesses. They told other people about Jesus. But up to this point, it had stalled in Jerusalem because they were comfortable. The good news that Jesus is alive was supposed to be spread, but it didn't, so God got them moving again. And he used problems and difficulties to get them moving. Here's our big idea today. Sometimes... God uses what? Difficulties to jolt us out of our comfort zones to be used. Don't you know that's right? Today, we're going to see the enemies of the early church. They decided to scatter and to lose them, yet God designed to scatter and use them. And if you're experiencing problems and difficulties today, some of you, you came in and you're, man, you're struggling. Maybe it's because the holidays are coming, you've lost a loved one, you've had a relationship go south, it used to be you plus one and now it's just you, you're a party of one. And there's that loneliness that's gripping your heart. Some of you, you're just you're experiencing some difficulties because of the holidays and your job is a little uneasy and you don't know if you're going to be able to keep it. If you're here and if you're experiencing problems, maybe... God wants to use them so that you can be used by God. So here's my question. Do you want God to use you? Absolutely. Do you want God to use you? If the answer is yes, the thing I want to say is be careful. Because what I've learned is that you're either going to be used by God or you're going to be comfortable, but you can't be both. You hear what I'm saying? You're either going to be comfortable or you can be used by God. And maybe if you're here and you're experiencing some problems, you're in some trials, you're in some difficulties, maybe God wants to use them so that you can be used by him. Got problems? (laughs) If you do, I got some good news. God never wastes a difficulty. Do you know that? He never wasted difficult circumstances. God wants to use your problems as stepping stones to be used by God. Now, before we dig into Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, let me tell you a true story. A true story from my past, because when I was in middle school, I read a book that was such an amazing read. In a lot of ways, it changed my life. It was by an author by the name of Elizabeth Elliot, and it was a book entitled Through Gates of Splendor. And it was all about Elizabeth Elliot and her husband, Jim Elliot. Let me tell you about Jim Elliot if you don't know him. Jim Elliot led a team of his friends and their wives to become missionaries to the primitive tribes living in the Amazon jungle in Ecuador. Jim's best friend, he was a pilot missionary by the name of Nate Saint. And three other missionaries, they decided to fly an airplane into the jungle and to land on a beachhead by a river to make first contact with the Waodani Indians. The Waodani Indians was a primitive and savage Stone Age tribe, and their intention was to tell them about Jesus. 
in January 1956, while attempting to reach the Wayodani people, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and their three missionary friends were killed. Y'all watch this video. I remember reading this book and just being awestruck by the faith of these five regular guys who lost their lives because they were witnesses telling other people about Jesus. One of uh, Jim Elliott's favorite quotes of mine is, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I remember that story gripping my heart back then, when I read it, and even now as I watch this movie clip. Jim Elliott and his friend Nate Saint were killed reaching people for Jesus. And they left behind a daughter and a wife. And Nate Saint was martyred for his faith. And he left behind a young son and a wife. A martyr is someone who dies for what they believe. And that story that I, we just watched, and we're going to pick up at the end before we're done today, 
really is very similar to another story found in Acts chapter 7 about a guy by the name of Stephen. And we're going to look at the death of Stephen today. Stephen was the first martyr of the church. And he was just, he wasn't one of the disciples. Um, He was just a normal guy, all right, who loved Jesus. And some of you, so I don't want us to put him so far up on the, on the, you know, on the pedestal that we can't relate. He wasn't, a, he wasn't Peter. He wasn't Andrew. He wasn't John. He was a guy. And let me tell you how he got his beginnings, how he got his start. He got his start by bussing and waiting tables. How many of y'all, you've worked in the food service industry? Let me hear you. All right, some of y'all. Everybody in first service. Pretty much, they they've they've done that, and you you know just how of a thankless job that can be. You're on your feet all day. You're working, trying to serve people well, and they give you a quarter tip, right? And that's usually Sunday after church. Let's be honest, right? So, by the way, if you do that, please do not wear your church at the movies T-shirt there, okay? Um, Stephen was not one of the disciples. He was a normal guy who loved Jesus, but Stephen became kind of a big deal in the early church. He was really helping the church grow and flourish, and we're introduced to Stephen when a problem broke out in the church in Jerusalem. Anyone know that sometimes church got problems? Anyone want to agree with that? Yeah, ball. Yes, they do. Well, the early church was no different. In fact, some of you are like, we need to be an early church. We need to be like the early church. And I'm like, no, we don't. Those people were really jacked up. You ever read 1 Corinthians? Right? I mean, they're sleeping with everybody. Right? I mean, it gets a little cray-cray. Like, I want to be better than that, right? But what was happening in this time is the church in Jerusalem, they were overlooking some of the widows. The widows weren't getting fed. So the disciples says, listen, we need to spend our time preaching and being witnesses, so we're going to delegate this responsibility. And they got seven guys. And one of those guys was Stephen, and Stephen's job was to wait tables. They wait tables, they serve tables, and they serve food to the widows in in need. Notice Stephen's beginnings. He was willing to serve wherever he was needed, bussing tables and serving food to widows, And which makes me think of this. When you're faithful with small things, God will give you bigger things. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? When you're faithful with small things, like bussing a table, like serving behind the scenes, like helping with setup or with children or any of those things, God will give you more authority and bigger things. And as time went along, that's exactly what happened to Stephen. Stephen, he just didn't serve tables, but he became this powerful witness for Jesus Christ. In fact, his witness became so powerful that some of the religious types came and they tried to argue with him and they can't hold a candle next to Stephen. All right? They're astonished and amazed by his wisdom. So look at this, verse 8 of chapter 6. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Stephen was a man full of what? He was full of God. Stephen was totally controlled by God. He just didn't have a Sunday religion. Everybody know what I mean by that? You ever know Christians who have Sunday religions? They, they, they look prim and proper. Right? You get them out, though, don't, don't get them close to a Friday night. Because they're going to be more drunk as a skunk than anybody else. No, this, Stephen wasn't like that. He was all in. He allowed his faith in Jesus to penetrate his entire life. His work life, Monday through Friday. His home life. 
What he watched, the way he said and what he said, Stephen went all in with his faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit and full of God. If I were to ask your friends, what are you full of? What would they say? Come on now. What comes oozing out and sloshing over the cup of your life when life gets a little bumpy? Because it's getting ready to get real bumpy and difficult for Stephen. Verse 9. But one day, some men from the synagogue of the freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. Let me stop right here. It's not my notes. But think about this. These are, these are Jewish folks who used to be slaves, and now they're free. And as we're going to see, their goal, they start, they start arguing and trying to put Stephen in bondage, basically. I, isn't it crazy how sometimes religious folks, we could, I mean, we have been set free, but we love putting rules and regulations on everybody else to make them feel like they are in chains. Huh, it's interesting, isn't it? None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men, hey, lie about him, saying, we've heard him blaspheme who? Moses and even God. Then they can't beat Stephen at his wits, so they lie about him. And it's interesting, look at this, that he cited he blasphemed who first? Moses. They were more concerned about Stephen's damage to their religion than they were about damage to God. Yo, he talked bad against Moses. Oh, and about God too. All right? And interesting. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of the religious law, so they arrested Stephen and they brought him before the high council. This high council is the Sanhedrin. It's 70 uh, men, and they are the same men that decided to crucify Jesus just a few months earlier. How would you like to be standing in front of those yahoos? I mean, they know, they've already killed one person. They've killed the person you're telling other people about. So they asked Stephen, hey, defend yourself. Even though all these charges are lies and trumped up, and they know that it is, they all look at Stephen, and this is what happens. At this point, everyone in the Hoskow Council stared at Stephen. Can you just feel their icy glances? They stared at Stephen because his face, his face become as bright as an angel. And then the high priest asked, Jesus, asked Stephen, are these accusations True. So Stephen starts to defend himself. And through the entire chapter of Acts chapter 7, the next 56 verses, Stephen brilliantly goes through the entire Old Testament. And you can read it in about 10 minutes. I don't have enough time to read it today. But my challenge for you when you go home is I want you to read Stephen's speech. And Stephen goes back and summarizes the entire Old Testament And he goes through and he points all the different places where they were far from God and where they ran away from God and where they disobeyed God and they did exactly what they weren't supposed to do. And he's giving it to them and he's giving it to them and they were starting to get angry at him and more angry at Stephen. And eventually their their jaws become locked and they start grinding their teeth and they make their hands into fists. And look what happens in verse 54. The Jewish leaders were what? Infuriated! How many of y'all, you were infuriated this morning? Some of you, some of you all just lied in church. Because y'all got kids, right? Trying to get them ready for, uh, for church or school or whatever. It's just like, oh my gosh. The Jewish leaders were infuriated with Stephen's accusation. And look what happens. They shook their fists at him in rage. 
Luke tells us that they rushed and they grabbed Stephen right as he's ending his speech. They didn't even vote, didn't do anything. They just grabbed him. And Stephen is finishing his speech and look at what happens. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. This just ticked them off. And they put their hands over the ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. What does it mean to stone someone? Well, stoning was mob violence at its worst. When you stone someone, the mob would drag the victim outside the city and throw him into a pit or a large ditch. And many times when they threw them into the pit, one of their legs or both of their legs would be broken during the fall. They would take a very large stone and they would hurl it onto the chest of that individual. And many times that would kill them. But if that didn't kill them, everybody would pick up a stone and they would hurl it as hard as they could at their head until they stopped breathing. This is a picture behind me of the actual place where they killed Stephen in Jerusalem. This is Stephen's gate. This is what it says, verse 57. They rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats. Don't you know, I mean, when you got to kill someone, I mean, you got to strip it down, right? I mean, you're going to be sweating. I mean, they are getting... And they're getting into this. They stripped their coats. They laid their coats at a feet at a young man named who? Saul. This is the first time we hear about Saul, but it's certainly not the last. This young man later meets Jesus, and his name gets changed to Paul. And the rest of the book of Acts is focused on Paul and his exploits of Jesus. But here, he's still Saul. He's part of the mob kills this man of God named Stephen. Verse 8, 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he, be- he agreed completely to the killing of Stephen. And a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the disciples and apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Thousands upon thousands of believers in Jesus are now scattered throughout Judea and Samaria outside of Jerusalem. Why? Because sometimes God uses difficulties to jolt us out of our comfort zones to be used. And the uh, the enemies of the church, they wanted to scatter and lose them, and God said, nope, I'm going to scatter and use them. Because of this death, of this godly man, this first martyr, and through his death, the church gets sent. As you read Stephen's story, you know, it's easy to see Stephen as this super saint with an S on his chest. And he's just, he's out there who died for his faith, someone who is so unlike you and me. But he's not. He's just a dude. He's just a guy who busts tables. He wasn't an apostle, he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. But hear me, his faithfulness in small things like waiting tables translated into faithfulness into bigger things, and God used him in such a big way. His life shows us 
that our commitment to God should be consistent no matter the circumstances or what the outcome might be. So here's what I want to do. I want to go back through this story, and I want to pull out through three principles that I want us to see learning from the death of a Jesus follower. And the first one is simply this. Jesus followers can find peace. Can you say peace? Turn to your neighbor and say, you need some peace today. You can find some peace when others are in turmoil. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, another way of just saying God's got control of his life, he's all in, he gazed steadily into heaven, and he saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Stephen is at his last moments in life. As a pastor, I can't tell you how many times I've been by the bedside of a dying person. And you want to encourage him, and I encourage him, hey, you need to make peace with God, to get things right with God. You know what? Stephen didn't have to do that. Stephen lived his entire life like at any moment he could see God. Do you know that? See, so many of us were like, you know, I'm going to get serious about this Jesus thing next week. Or, I'm, you know, spring break is a coming. I know we're in the fall. But spring, and then after spring break, then I will get serious. And you know, none of us are promised another day. You're not promised another breath. And Stephen, he lived every breath like it could be his last. And this time it was. At the moment of his death, he was full of God. That's what we read. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit, full of God? It just simply means that Stephen allowed God's Spirit to control his entire life. Stephen didn't insist on his doing things his way, but doing things God's way. He was fully God's. He was all in. He allowed God to have control of everything in your life. And this is a great principle. God takes full responsibility for a life wholly devoted to him. Can we say that together? God takes full responsibility of a life wholly devoted to him. And that, this is that incredible contrast. I love this between the story of Stephen and the religious mob. Look at this. They, I mean, they react to what Stephen said in such a rage. The religious people, they lose their ever-loving minds. They want to kill this guy. Yet at the same time, Stephen, as he's being stoned, Look at his emotions. He's serene. He's in control. He's calm. He is at peace. It's the difference between a hostile, Jesus-hating world and a gentle, loving follower of Jesus. So why did these religious people act so violently? I think the reason why religious people get so violent is because Stephen was challenging their power. And they're afraid of losing control. They lash out. And I believe that very potential is in all of us. When our power is challenged and we're afraid of losing control, all of us have this tendency to lash out. Don't believe me? Remember the last time somebody cut you off in traffic? Come on now. When's the last time you stood in line and then somebody cut in line? Well, you can't do that. I've been waiting here. That Whoa, whoa, whoa. How would Jesus respond in this? You see, when things don't go our way, when somebody cuts us off in traffic, when the lines are too long, when your spouse puts the toilet paper different on the roll than you want it on. All right? My wife and I, we've been having discussions lately. Because I believe that the toilet paper should be over. She believes it should be under, 
right? And we've come to an understanding because I'm the boss of this house. I go use the bathroom in the kids' bathroom, and I put the toilet paper however I want it. All right? I'm just juggling with you. But see, here's the thing. Our contentment is often dependent upon our comfort. You ever notice that? Our contentment level is often dependent upon our comfort level. Don't believe me? Christmas is coming. You see, we don't get content this time of year, do we? We don't. Our contentment in life is often dependent upon our comfort level. And if I'm comfortable, then I'm content. But here's the question. Do we trust God enough to be faithful when our comfort level is threatened? Stephen saw the challenges to his comfort level as tests to help him live a spirit-filled life because Jesus' followers can find peace when others are in turmoil. Let's look at the second one. Jesus' followers can see things that other people can't see. Would you agree that this is a bad circumstance for Stephen? I mean, I mean, this is his last moment, his last breath. He is going to die. But look what happens. This is so important. What does this Jesus-controlled man or woman do when the circumstances are at their worst, when the economic indicators are all pointing downward, when you can't pay the bills, when you lose your job, when the doctor's report isn't good, when you've been sick longer than you want to be sick, when you didn't make the cut, when someone you love blows it again, when someone you love decides not to love you back anymore? What does a Jesus-controlled, spirit-filled person do? This is what we can learn from Stephen. This is what he did. Verse 55. But Stephen gazed steadily into heaven, and who did he see? Glory of God, he saw Jesus. You see, here's what needs to happen. The first thing that you do when you and I face rough circumstances is get your eyes off your circumstances. Get your eyes off your problems. It gets so big. It's like having that quarter. I can have a quarter, and I can block the moon if you get it close enough. You ever notice that? Because we lose perspective. Our problems are huge. But God is so much bigger. Get your problems, get your eyes off your problems, and focus on Jesus Christ, because God has your best in mind. You remember that God takes full responsibility of a life wholly devoted to him, and you remember that all things work together for good to those who are part of his family. You remember that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You remember that if God is for you, who can be against you? When you really see Jesus, your problems become smaller. So when there's uncertainty around you, I want you to pray. I want you to talk to God. God, take control of my life. Let me see what others around me can't see. Let me see the problems and how small they are compared to a big God. And then third, spirit-filled people see death differently than others do. Though it's hard, Jesus' followers can see that God has a greater purpose in your death. And sometimes you don't even know it. You remember the story I shared with you about Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and their three missionary friends? After Jim Elliott was killed and Nate Saint was killed, Jim's wife Elizabeth and their daughter Valerie and Nate Saint's wife Rachel and their son Stephen decided to go into the jungle 
and meet the people that killed their husbands. Imagine the faith it took, knowing that you could be killed as well. Your children could be killed. So they show up, and amazingly enough, they weren't killed. They were welcomed as a part of this tribe, and for the next two years, they learn the language of the Waodani people, and they translate the story of Jesus into the Waodani people. And up to that point, before the fallen missionary families came to live with the Waodani people, they, these, these Stone Age savages lived a life of killing one another. So much so that the tribe did not have any grandfathers. For generations, they killed the older, weaker generation. But the Waodani people accepted the truth of Jesus' life, and that they said they would never kill anymore, and they haven't since 1956. I want you to listen quickly as we watch this movie clip of Nate Saint's son, Stephen, who's going back to bury his mom, who spent her entire life ministering to the Wayodani people. Let's watch this. I was living with my family in Florida when I got the news that Rachel had died. It didn't come as a surprise. We had known about her cancer. And though she came from a large family in the States, she wanted to be buried with the Wadani, who she considered to be family as well. So my wife Jenny and I traveled to Ecuador to honor her request.
because there was something I needed to see. No other explanation was offered. And so our journey that had spanned two worlds, bridged the Stone Age in the 21st century, finally led us here, down the lonely Cordovai River. Is this it? Is this what? Is this what happened? Baba Badasya. So what died about that day, Abbasida? Who says about it, Abbasida? What? What did he see? Tell me!
lost his life at the end of the spear and it was at the end of the spear that Minkayani and I found ours it's true that my dad and his four friends were not given the privilege of watching their children and grandchildren grow up but Minkayani is a grandfather it's the first time in Wadani history they've ever had so many grandfathers. He's not only a grandfather to his own children, he's a grandfather to mine. My dad would have liked that. Because of the death of these five missionaries, Nate Saint, innovative missionary aviation pilot, husband and father, Jim Elliott, husband and father and athletic and an honors graduate of Wheaton College. Ed McCulley, outstanding college athlete, husband and father. Roger Udarian, a World War II hero paratrooper and husband and father of two. And Pete Fleming, a newlywed from Washington University. Because of the death of these five Jesus followers, thousands of people have come to know Jesus Christ. I like Nate Saint's quote here. There's a picture of Nate Mikayani. He says this, People who do not know the Lord ask why in the world will we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble is burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years that they have wasted. Back to the story of Stephen. The Bible says that Saul was there. Saul, one of the witnesses, he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women and throwing them into prison. Saul, who becomes Paul, becomes the greatest evangelist and church planners ever as the church has ever known. Did Stephen know that because of his death, Saul would eventually become Paul who would write two-thirds of the New Testament? No. Did Jim Elliott and Nate Saint know what would happen through their deaths? No. But all of them trusted God. And God had a greater purpose than what they saw in their life. Jesus' followers see death differently than others do. And God ultimately used both the death of Stephen to jolt the early church out of their comfort zone to be used by God. Sometimes, God uses difficulties to jolt us out of our comfort zones to be used. So, do you want God to use you? Do you want and are you willing to be used by God because you can either be used by God or you can stay 
comfortable, but you can't be both, and you can't do both. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God, that we can come and hear the stories of men of God like Stephen and Jim and Roger and Nate, people who it's easy to put them up on pedestals, but Lord, they're just like us. And we can be just like them if we're willing to go all in. Stop insisting on doing our own things. Stop making life all about us and make it about Jesus. God, disturb us. I pray, Lord, that you would comfort the disturbed here today and you would disturb the comfortable. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I encourage you, go and be the church and go all in for Jesus Christ. Thank you, guys.